Hi, everyone out there. Holy crap. This is the first Coach Fury podcast. I'm really excited to finally be doing this. Todd Bumgarner laid out a game plan, and I'm putting it into action now. And I'm very happy, honored to have my brother from another, my former boss, um, someone that inspires me to throw shit and be a better person, the one and only Mark Fisher, founder of Mark Fisher Fitness and Business for Unicorns, which he's going to speak more about. Um, Welcome to this podcast, folks. Please stay aboard. We're going to be doing these every Tuesday. So every Tuesday, there's going to be a new one. And I'm shocked at how many rad people have offered to speak with me. So we're going to start with Mark. Mark, uh, I mentioned Mark Fisher Fitness, both Hell's Kitchen locations and Bowery locations. For those that don't know, I started in Hell's Kitchen and was one of the uh, opening crew for the Bowery. And I have left to go independent about five months ago, um, which I really wouldn't have had the balls to make that move if it really weren't wasn't for Mark. So uh, we are still clearly family when you hear us talk. Uh, There is no ill will. There is nothing but love between us. Or who knows, maybe something dirty will come up. This will be like a real world. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, But Mark, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves uh, and Business for Unicorns in particular, because I think a lot of us have our heads around MFF. And if there's a lot of other podcasts they could check out to unpack that. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so I think you, you summed it up. I mean, I basically these days do basically two things. And the one is I run uh, my baby love child, my sort of like love song to humanity, Mark Fisher Fitness, uh, which is the studio in New York City. I imagine people listening to this are probably familiar with. Um, very ridiculous place, a very like aggressively kind and bizarre people. They're actually very serious about kicking fitness ass. And then about half my time is now spent speaking and uh, facilitating courses under the banner of Business for Unicorns, which is sort of the, in many ways, it's the external facing arm of the Grand Unicorn Experiment that I run with my Mark Fisher Fitness co-founder, Michael Keeler. And essentially, we work very specifically on the soft skills of entrepreneurship. We do work with a lot of people in the fitness industry, but it's actually more broadly a training ground for the kinds of things that we think are maybe not addressed as much or perhaps as well as they could in the entrepreneurship space. I'd agree. I think one of the shocking things, I remember when you guys interviewed me, you asked me like, what was my five-year goal? And I was like, open a business probably in five years. And then seeing the systems in place and develop, like not just lock into place, but actually develop over time in talking with a group, uh, you know, as a, as an instructor, I travel and I teach at a lot of different uh, facilities. Like that is the missing link for a lot of us. A lot of us, you know, we spend our time in the big box gyms. I haven't, I'm like an anomaly. I, I came from mom and pops all the way up. Um, and then it's time to open the gym because we hate how that's going. We want to have control of everything. And we have all these programming and coaching and, and people skills, but lacking on the business side of that. And I think something like business for unicorns, I know is huge and strength faction, you know, Pete Dupuy does uh, support and uh, lessons for us through that. And I, yeah. I think that's what everybody, whether you have a brick and mortar or do online like myself now or independent like myself now, super important. So I think that's like a huge benefit. Um, and how's it going? Cause this was relatively new, like about two years that this started growing up. Maybe the yeah. last. Yeah. It's like the usual, like add water and like, what? we actually made a big business, um, which is amazing. Um, but essentially, you know, we took, we just kind of needed fears to figure out what we want to do. I know I didn't want to do like another damn thing, uh, you know, cause there's a lot of stuff out there. So it's interesting. I, I got inadvertently, as always, good advice from John Berardi through uh, John Goodman, who runs the Personal Training Development Center. 
And I remember having a chat with John about a year and a half ago. And he said that, yeah, you know, when John Brady first started talking, he just spent a couple of years just talking with people and being like, what do you like? What don't you like? What are your problems? What sort of solutions do you wish were out there? And for several years, that sort of has been my MO. So I've been, you know, as you know, just been speaking my balls off and just like literally running around the world. And it's been great and it's been fulfilling. And I knew I'd have to figure out an end game at some point. And I knew, you know, so I've been trying stuff and, you know, I've done a fair amount of like one-on-one coaching, which uh, I've decided is not for me. I, I, I like it and I'm keeping my current clients because I love and adore them. But uh, I decided that really wasn't my jam. I also discovered uh, that the very high priced, uh, all inclusive fitness business monthly mastermind thing. Again, I think a totally valid way to go just wasn't uh, something that like kind of interests me. So Kira and I, I think organically basically wound up going back to like MFF and basically creating like snatched like programs for very specific skills. And part of how that happened is we discovered a lot of people were coming to us and really like a wonderful thing. They were all over the place. And it wasn't even just like getting the brand new personal trainer and the guy that owns three facilities, but now we were also getting like gynecologists and music directors. And so we were just attracting such a variety of people that organically, I think what we hit upon was we want to offer people specific solutions for specific challenges. And we want to do in a way that's reflective of our understanding of behavioral change, which isn't doing a two day brain dump and then see you later. And it's not, um, I think, doing like very broad gen let's get together three months and just like hot seat people. And again, I want to be clear. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That has worked amazingly well for a lot of people, but the business for unicorn courses essentially are all built around. Let's do like a one or two day event where we do very high level overview of the system. Let's get a lot of sometimes sobering awareness around your current skills or lack thereof. And then let's spend three months integrating in the context of a community, focusing on weekly right size habits. You have a 90% belief that you can nail in that week. And then every week we do laser coaching availability, unlimited as part of it. We get on the phone with you and we both help you troubleshoot the logistics. Um, and as happens, help you unpack sometimes the emotions that occur as you discover things about yourself and your belief systems as you look to integrate these things. So we were just blown away by the feedback from the first event of it, uh, which was the time management one. We just did the most recent one as of this recording this past weekend that also sold out within a few days. Uh, and next year we will actually have, it'll really be our first full year. We'll be offering six courses and uh, it's, we'll just continue to play with this model and uh, you know, just kind of like MFF, you know, just like, I think the same thing is happening. We'll just get lucky. We're finding like just cool people that are cool and like, like us and want to work with us, that trust us, that are like beautifully candid where they think we can make things better. Because for me, like that's business one-on-one. It's being a good human one-on-one. It's like you do stuff, then you pay attention to what everyone else is thinking. You try to figure out what's actual reality and then you make whatever you're doing a little bit better every day. Yeah, I, I mean, congrats to you and Keeler. I, I'm not surprised that it's branching out beyond the fitness groups because the longer we're in this and the more you study about it and learn about it, it's, it's business skills, right? It's systems, business skills. And then underneath it all people skills, how to communicate and whatever you're involved in, you know, when you break out coaching as a trainer, so I'm not an owner. I'm like, I guess I'm independently run in some ways. I'm learning a lot on this side of the fence now is the, the actual like 
technique and programming side is pretty easy to grasp. Like we sure. persistently get better at it. Like that's the goal. How can we be more effective and more efficient, safer, more progress, but it's the talking and dealing with the sticky situations and celebrating yeah. the good situations. And that's the hard part. And I think with any type of business, um, I think I mentioned to this like several months ago, like probably like nine months ago, an old friend in, in visual effects reached out to me and was like, I know you're doing this trainer thing, but would you consider moving and potentially becoming an executive producer at this, you know, international effects house? And it's the first time that I have thought about these new skills I've required largely thanks to, thanks to you guys um, in terms of dealing with people and working with teams. And, you know, now when I teach courses, it's, it's large groups of people that I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know I don't know how I've ended up <laughs> talking to strangers like that. Um, and I think I'd be better. You know, I think I'd just be better at it because what we have as coaches, it's, it's, you know, it's really starting to be that like bartender psychologist to some degree. Yes. Cause you can't successfully do that. I guess I'm like, you're really hot. You could pull that off and I'm, I'm not, <laughs> but uh, so congrats on that. That doesn't surprise me at all. Cause I think we're, we're all finding that we're reading business books that have nothing to do with training, but a lot of carry over as well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, yeah, to your point, it's it's always the human element, right? And you just don't get taught that, you know, in any of the, the certifications. And ultimately, if you're helping people change, you know, a lot of people come in with some intuitive chops. And I feel lucky that I think naturally like, I was pretty good with people. But uh, I feel like I've been able to exponentially improve that by doing often quite difficult work by learning how to get better at these, what I keep calling the soft skills, right? Because even the courses that we're doing, you know, things like customer service or developing a team or coaching conversations, uh, they are, there is a technique, there are systems you can learn, but it's far, far more variable than a mathematical algorithm because you're dealing with humanity, which is a very different and I think very satisfying uh, playground of land. Yeah, it definitely makes a deeper connection out the gate as opposed to just like a one-on-one -on -one consumer transaction. I mean, I think that's the magic of the Ninja Army and oh what boy. we as a team have. It, it's, it's not just that direct business transaction, it's a personal transaction. Oh, but yeah. it is but it is a business transaction to the point where those lines really blur sometimes in our favor, mostly in our favor and sometimes occasionally viciously against us when, oh, it, goes, yeah, yeah, when yeah. it goes, goes wrong. Yeah. And you know, and I'd much rather have a business that does that. Right. You know what I mean? Like I can't pretend to be interested in sort of like, that's why I don't know, man. Like I kind of wish I could do retail or like merchandise or some product like, cause I'm like, man, it sounds easy. And there's still value in, in those skills. Cause even then you'd still be dealing with a team and that still requires that. But, uh, you know, I'm just more interested in building like relationships and relationships that have legs. And even for Biz for Unicorns, it's like, you know, and I, it's funny, like, I feel like oh, the past like six months, like not in a bad way. I think I'm getting a lot of like pushback from people like scale, scale. And I keep like, like considering like, I'm just gonna do a Facebook live and just like rage against like everyone and be like, take your scale and fucking shove it. Just be good. Be great is enough to just be fucking awesome. And not that you can't be big and awesome, but you know, right now my vision for something like Biz for Unicorns, you know, if I have like 500 to 1,000 people that are deeply invested in what Michael and I are doing that we love spending time with, that's a big ass business. Like that's like, you know, we're doing pretty great at that point, you know, particularly considering it's only one half of what I'm doing. And by the way, who knows what the fuck else I'm gonna be doing in two years when I think of whatever next business I'm gonna start. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty stoked about my life. So <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's just knowing you and it's huge. And a lot of the people that are listening to this will, will know you, but for those that don't, you are, 
uh, a legend of productivity and scheduling and, and, and mastery in that level and getting better at it. So for that to be potentially overwhelming for you, I know you can handle it, but for the rest of us, it's like, that's a, just a giant business to be 50% yeah. of what we do a day, uh, which we're going to sort of get back to that productivity in a little bit. What, one of the things that I found most fascinating when I started MFF is how transparent you guys were. And we've had this conversation yeah. a lot, you know, for those that don't know me outside of here, I come from a film background, which led into advertising and very many creative houses and visual effects where I'd have often some creative director boss that would be part genius, part tyrant. Right. And we, everybody else would sort of like band together underneath that. But it was right. a room of closed door talks more often than not about like a lot of shit talking and, who's not doing this and who's yeah. doing that. And I realized that's one of the things that drove me out of management at the time because I didn't know <laughs> what a crucial conversation was. Right. I, I thought I was being upfront with people, but like absolutely not. And then I've also seen where I would talk to an owner, you know, and I would have a fairly high up position and I'd be like, I need to see these numbers so I can bid jobs effectively. And they'd say, I'll get you those numbers. And then an hour later I call the accountant and the person's like, Nope, I can't share those. He said not to share those. So to come in and, you know, and, and have a place where we're all open and we can all praise and bitch, but in a constructive way, because yeah. Lord knows <laughs> I rallied against some of our, some of the things or rallied for sure, certain man. things, man, to, to tears at times. Uh, that was like, a wonderfully positive awakening that I'm very grateful for you guys for. Cause that's something that's a direct, you know, take back now. Like I'm not going to have dildos at my gym anymore uh, or in my training space, but that's something I'll take with me everywhere. Yeah. 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 You may not take the dildos, but you'll take the heart. <laughs> yeah. There's always one. <laughs> there's always a dildo in me. There's always a dildo inside you <laughs> deep, deep inside sometimes. Uh, well, speaking of deep inside, man, you just got back from burning man. How was that? Oh man, just, just fascinating, dude. It's, you know, it's so, so funny, you know, the burn is so different every year. Um, and this year was so interesting and there was like, it was the most fun I've ever had at Burning Man. And it was weirdly like just the least emotional for whatever reason, just wasn't a very emotional year. Like at no point was I like on my knees, like crying and grieving and no point did I have like a moment of like transcendence about the beat of life. I mean, I, I had like, some of that. And I officiated two dear friends wedding and that was very like emotional and, and certainly one of my favorite moments of my life. But, uh, you know, for me, what's interesting about Burning Man, it's literally the same thing we're talking about. And no doubt that's because this is sort of like my philosophical obsession is really comes down to the tension between the individual's desire to self-express and have autonomy and their need to connect and relate and be a part of a community, which requires being considerate of the needs of others. Right? And if you look at it fundamentally in any organization, in any tribe, in any family, there's always this constant tension between those points. And that's why every organization and every family and every tribe, you see the same, you know, same ancestral challenges you see, which are always these things about like, you know, are, are, is it fair, right? Am I getting out of this what I'm putting into it? Like, is that person not working as hard as they should have? And well, now I resent, I feel like I'm working harder than I'm getting out of it. So now I'm going to kind of pull back. And, and the only way I think to work through that is to develop a culture where you have open and candid conversations about that, which, you know, we're certainly not perfect, but I, I definitely think MFF does better than most on that count. 
And, you know, it was fascinating to be at Burning Man because you see the same things like happening, like in, in the broader community of Burning Man, in the individual camps, it's the same types of conversations. And for me, it's very fascinating to be a part of it um, and not be the one in charge, frankly, because I'm in my day to day life, it's just a different, you know, it's just a different seat on the bus. Um, and I've, I learned, I've learned many things. I've learned many things <laughs> this past yes. burn. It's got to be nice to be able to let like the leadership go and just be oh, a part of the tribe. It, as it, to the it of the is. Tribe. And it's also very hard for me. It's part of what I value about it because of course, like I'm like, well, I, I, I want to, I know what to do best. I'm good at this stuff. Uh, and frankly, like I am very good at this stuff, you know, it's like funny cause it's, it's what I do. It's not just like the running of MFF, but like quite literally I help people create organizational culture. Um, but even that, uh, you know, like I said, there's just things, you know, it's interesting to be on the other side and, and, uh, you know, here are the types of conversations. Leaders don't always hear and all that kind of stuff. And certainly I know that's going on in MFAP, but it's, it's an interesting thing to experience it. And what makes Burning Man so beautiful is it's also, everybody also, it's like, it's Burning Man. We're only there for a week. It's like, no one gets like that tightly wound about it. Yeah. Um, you know, in many ways, and, and we've talked this before too, I think that's why I'm so passionate about work being the ultimate sharpening saw to make people better humans. Because work in general, I think people have an opportunity to be like, you know what? ah, fuck it, I'm going to go drink a beer, right? Whereas, you know, for me, it's sort of like work is the dojo where we become better family members and better friends, right? Because in our family relationships, we are so close. I think it's so hard to stay conscious. Um, and it's, it's really the same principles will play out there, but, you know, we, we've all got stuff, right? We've all got stuff about, like, our family and about in our relationships. And, um, and work at its best can be this beautiful balance where you're close enough that you'll rub your scars on each other Right, and you'll you'll hurt each other enough to have an opportunity to deal with it, but you've got enough distance that it doesn't feel so claustrophobic the way, in my experience, uh, you know, a lot of family relationships can from time to time. Yeah, which brings me to something I want to talk about is is the family of MFF. One of the things that again, it's sort of hard to wrap your head around is like sort of the lightning in the bottle that you guys managed at the start, and yeah. then as the team progressed. I mean, just the fact that you and Keeler uh, growing up together. You know, meeting in you guys met in high school. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and then, but you didn't work together right away, right? This this came apart years later. Oh yeah, years years later, yeah. Right. So the fact that that reconnection happens, and then the first two people you bring on the team are Kyle Langworthy and Brian Patrick Murphy. It's like, how do you do better than that? But what yeah, was man. the what was the thought process? Not just with them, because I think that could get very lengthy. But like just in terms of assembling the team leading into Stacy and Steph and Landon and yeah. you know, myself, like it's kind of amazing the common core of everybody, but also how different some of us are. Like, I got to be yeah. honest, like I didn't know how my fit was going to be for the longest time. I felt like I was being accepted, but on paper, I'll say for myself in particular, because I think at this time wheels, Liz and Harold were the only people that were training already that started there right. aside from you guys. But then also I think only Liz and I, if I'm correct, had like zero musical theater music background in that way. Right. Uh, and <laughs> being like, I'm coming from a martial arts gym. Uh, I'm the oldest cat in the house at the time. I would be the oldest cat again in the house if I came back and uh, had the kids. And I was like, how is this going to fit? And then it was kind of perfect. Now I'm on two doors there. Yeah. Uh, just what is it when you're, you're looking at, I don't want, you know, a critique of myself, but when you're looking for a new team member prior to the trainer in residence program, uh, and now that just makes you think like this is the right person. Cause you've nailed it 
pretty yeah, much we, every time. Yeah, yeah, no, we've done really great. Um, I don't know, man. It's, you know, like I'm always like skeptical of my own bullshit, right? So it's like hard because I try to reverse engineer these things. And I'm like, is that really what's going on? It, it does seem like I feel like I've got a good knack for just like quickly sizing up people for like heart and humility, you know, because that's really the things I look for. Like, is this someone that genuinely gives a shit about other people's well-being um, and willing to do the hard work of being uh, kind when it's not easy to be kind? Um, and is this somebody with like that is is humble enough to know that they're not perfect and have growth mindset and be willing to do the hard work of trying to get better on a regular basis? You know, and for me, like those those two pieces are so important to the type of community we want for the ninjas that we need role models. And then I think separate but related to that, uh, the healthy organization needs diversity, right? The ecosystem needs diversity. And again, it's definitely been, you know, way more art than science, but I do think about things like balancing out, you know, like just the different personality styles. How do we make MFF constantly rife with attention and conflict necessary to stay awesome? Right, it's sort of like a plane requires the turbulence. If you're not constantly having little forms of conflict and tension, um, you're brittle, you're fragile, it's gonna all fall apart. And that happens in so many organizations where people just stop talking and you stop having the conflict or, or, or as terrible, you develop people that are so similar under the auspices of culture that it becomes this terrible group think thing, right? And it's that old sort of management proverb that if two executives agree on everything, one of them should be fired. Right. And certainly at MFF, the good news is we don't agree on anything, man. I mean, there's literally the most non-controversial thing. And, and the real fuck of it is not only will people disagree about it, but they're, they'll make their point and you'll be like, motherfucker, that's accurate. Damn it. And then you go back to the drawing board. But, uh, but you know, it's that sort of ability to always think through all sides of an issue that I think makes MFF so robust and so resilient that even, you know, we have formidable challenges like certainly we had with the Bowery bowled out and everything's going over. Um, you know, it's still a sturdy ship. It's like, no one's like really worried about closing, you know, because we know like we're going to figure it, things out. We're just going to keep fucking working. Um, so it is, is definitely a little bit of an art, right? Cause you're, you know, if I were to sum it up, you're both looking for a certain type of cultural fit. That's very, very important, but you also need a real diversity of style and worldview and framing. And if anything, I think we're, we have an opportunity to probably that latter point. I think as we grow, I'm looking to even push that more and more and more, which, you know, will also make all of us nuts because we'll always disagree on everything, but it will also mean we'll all have a job. <laughs> yeah, I think that outside, that tension is probably the thing that most people outside looking in as a team, because we, we are such a family, yeah. that, that it doesn't exist. And I think that would probably shock a lot of people once they're in there, that there is a lot of like that productive tension oh, yeah. right? where if you can have a crucial conversation, you can have a disagree agreement or be a contrarian and, and discuss stuff without taking it personally or bringing it home. Or if oh, you do yeah. take it personally and bring it home, you know, having the, you know, the emotional well being to be able to like, let it, you know, discuss it and unpack yeah. it as opposed to burden. Yeah. And uh, it took us, it took us years to get there too. You know, it's another thing as good as we are, like, you know, for a long time, like, it was like an uphill struggle to get us to that place where like we can have a meeting now. And it's just casually like everybody kind of yells at each other. And then we like just go and it's like, we don't even need to hug it out because no one's even really that offended because we just, there's so much trust now. We know each other so well that like, you know, if like Kyle raises his voice at a Herald, like no one even gives a shit anymore. It's like not even weird. Like, you know what I mean, there's nothing even yeah. to like patch up afterwards. It's like, nope, we're just humans and we disagree passionately and we all know we like each other. So it's not really that fucking deep. And at the end of the day, 
We're just fucking flinging kettlebells and trying to save the world. It's not that big a deal. It's so true. I remember because I had the same feeling, but I remember a ninja had just finished snatched and it was like two weeks outside of snatch and she'd started SPs. I, I, it sucks that I'm forgetting her name right now. So I apologize if this is you and you're listening, but she was like, you guys really are nice and you really do love each other. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I know. Isn't it? Yeah, weird? Genuinely, yeah. Because I remember going to our first staff meeting and like seeing people like just with their arms around each other and giving like little massages and being like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, this has not happened anywhere. Yeah. And, uh, but it is true. And it's creating that, you know, that environment where we can be better. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, it's hard to not bring politics into this. So I'm not going to dive down it. But this, <laughs> right. idea of a, this idea of a safe space that's been turned into like a negative thing. I feel like the clubhouse has become this, the safe, the safe space is when we can actually fully be ourselves yeah, man. to challenge each other yeah. to have those conversations as opposed to being coddled. Right. Like I think oh, that's yeah. sort of, uh, something that, you know, that, that use of that term and the, this backlash and political correctness, um, I think political correctness is only meant to try to get you to think about not being a dick to somebody. It's not like some overriding curse that it's being made out to be like if you could potentially offend somebody, maybe we should think about the words. And I feel the same way with the safe space. And and you guys were the first environment that not only could you feel that, but you could talk about like just raunchy stuff in the background, all out of good fun. And it's not taken the wrong way. Um, Totally. It was a super unique experience. And it, I remember it took me probably like two months to feel like not comfortable in it, but to be a part of it, I guess. Um, yeah, it's a weird thing, man. I imagine it's got to be pretty jarring coming from the outside world. I, I would imagine it's like if you spent like a month, like, you know, a year in uh, or five years in the woods and then came back to reality, just adapting to like, this is what like a positive place is. I'm not dissing all the companies I used to work for, but business politics, I'm used to like a way meaner game. Um, yeah, totally. And, and to come into that, it was like shedding. It's like, I guess, getting used to not having your phone on you for a day. Like that yeah. is challenging. Like I'm going to Riot Fest uh, Thursday and I'm going to actually, for the first time, take email off my phone, take Facebook off my phone. Nice. And I can just tell already, like Thursday day, I'm going to be a nervous wreck being like grabbing for my phone with nothing to see. Yeah, man. Uh, and then glory on Friday. Yes. <laughs> what a useful um, thing. Yeah. Right. So you talked about, you know, this genuine desire, uh, to help people as you guys have grown, it's been very clear to me. So when I started with you guys, I was already, I was just starting to teach workshops. I was doing some OS stuff. I was doing some DVRT stuff. And then the RKC sort of blew up right before, uh, my role in the RKC came, came through right as I was actually starting with you guys. And I remember at first people would reach out and be like, so you working at MFF, what's that like? Do they really have dildos there? Like that was literally (laughs) eight times out of 10, probably the first thing. And then, you know, over the course of a year, it caught on like, what's it like over there? Right. Like how are, how do they set up their, their sessions? Yeah. And then the more visible you became and the team, but like, you know, you definitely were spearheading the speakers in the podcast, you know, the ridiculousness side as both something that sets a tone and a culture for our ninjas and our team, but also, he, you know, is I think sometimes mistaken as a marketing angle as sure. opposed to a genuine growth of like who we are. Yeah. What's your thoughts on like, how do you sort of try to strive to maintain authenticity um, in those that are coming in and probably the people you're seeing in business for unicorns. Now, mind you, I guess we're all already sort of drinking from the Kool-Aid. Right. But I've clearly seen some people that I'm like, 
if you just change the logo, you just read an MFF, you know, mission statement. Yeah. Uh, you know, you hear unicorns. I mean, ninjas is like a, not an uncommon term, but you're starting to hear unicorns and ninjas much more. Um, finding that fine line, and I, you know, between really being yourself and trying to be this silly thing that's already been created. Like, how do you find your own? Like, how do you judge that, I guess? And how do you try to find your own? Which is not an easy question. Yeah. I'm answering that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It's a good question. It's, it's, it's tough too. Cause even, you know, authenticity is such a sort of rabbit hole too in that sort of contemporary cognitive science, which is just like, it's hard to be like authentic and listen to like your inner voice when you don't even have a consistent personality and you have these conflicting parts of you at all times. They're like, you know, equally authentic, but like often contradict each other. Um, and furthermore, you know, to some extent we're all sort of creating who we are over time. So it's only appropriate that we are, you know, being inspired by things that we're seeing. We are like trying on pairs of pants, so to speak, philosophically, culturally, and sometimes they fit and sometimes they don't. Um, and at what point is someone, you know, being inspired by someone else? And at what point are they like inauthentically trying to steal somebody else's jam? And I don't really know. I mean, um, you know, like you said, for, for better or for worse, like I am like ruthlessly transparent. I can't even try to play close to the best. So I feel pretty lucky in that like, that's not something I need to like, you know, there's not a lot of days where I'm like, how can I be more authentic today? How can I be more myself? <laughs> um, you know, cause I'm just like, here I am. Um, but it is, it is definitely like a, an interesting thing. And now, you know, obviously we're doing a lot of coaching stuff and certainly, you know, culture is something that people come to us to work a lot on, you know, for me, a lot of it comes down to, it's like so corny, but it just really gets down to, you know, what is your personal mission in this world? What is the mission of your business? What are the values and principles you stand for? What actions would be reflected in those values and principles? What are the actions that you do not think are appropriate? Um, you know, what is your vision of a perfect like world you want to move toward? What is your preferred future of, of who you want to become in the process of creating that world? Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think there's always something like iter, iterative, iterative, is that word? I think so. Um, about that. And, uh, you know, I think that's where it starts. I think the other piece too, when I'm talking like specifically in regards to the business for me, um, you know, there is, I think an opportunity to authentic yourself in the generosity and in service of who it is you love so much that you want to serve. And that is, uh, the other piece too, because, you know, again, we do have an infinite number of personalities in an acting class in acting world. Uh, we have something called uh, reciprocal characterization. And that is a term that means you are who you are to some extent because of who you're in the room with. Mm -hmm. Right. And you see this in the behavioral change, uh, social science literature, right? It's why social context is so important for behavior change. If you're not a part of a community that shares those values. It's hard for you to move up those stages of motivation from these like quote unquote lower level external motivations. If I don't do this, I'm going to die. Or if I don't do this, I can't get laid by hot people into like the arguably more sustainable ones where like I do this because this is who I am. I do this because this is a reflection of my values, what's important to me. Um, and I'm doing this as a reflection of my integrity to myself and to the communities I stand for. Um, so I realize it's sort of a broad philosophical answer, but um, yeah. I, I think that helps a lot. Like when I'm, uh, while you were talking, I'm also thinking about back about my first like month or so there and how was I coming across? And they were definitely like, literally I can think of two times because I was the morning guy for the first like year or so. Um, 
where people are like, that wasn't you. I'm like, you don't even know me yet, but they were <laughs> totally right. They were like, cause you come in with this reputation of what MFF is. Yeah, and, sure. You know, my friend now her last name is Bullock, Jen Frankel at the time, Jen Bullock and Adrian were like, you know, this is what happens there and you don't know what to expect. And you know, you see Brian Patrick Murphy's balls for the first time. And then you're trying to fit this, your version of what you think needs to be there. Yeah. And it's kind of going like through like, you know, freshman year through high school to find your, your, you know, your place within that. And you are trying on new pants and <laughs> new outfits and new right. and stuff like that, you know, trying to find your fit. And then you, you sort of grow into it and then you have the freedom to keep evolving it like a Pokemon, right? You can keep sure. leveling up. But I think that's a hard part where, you know, on the outside now is everything, most trainers or everything that we're doing is, and this is myself included, tends to be more marketing focused, right? Like I'm going to sure. put out this video on the deadlift. I'm going to put this post motivational quote. I do this guys. Like I'm not shit talking to anybody. I yeah. do this too. Um, that there's the marketing angle. And I think when it comes to like really trying to be authentic on that stuff, it's really hard to do that in a social marketing, social media world. At first mm -hmm. it has to come out through your work in the room right? To me, that grows in the room and then out. And that's a tricky part. And I guess if you're writing, it comes out through repetition of writing. Sure. But, um, you know, people would ask me like, you know, uh, about wearing outfits or this or that, or, or they would be like, that was a really good business decision to do like, you know, I have the, the tattoo on my hand. They're like, great, die mighty right. logo. And I'm like, well, I actually just thought that was a cool spot right. <laughs> to have the tattoo. Um, but mind you, I have my own podcast now and I'm wearing a die mighty shirt, right? Sure. So we're, all, we're all guilty of that. But where do you think as trainers, when we're trying to find our style, we can maybe improve behind the scenes of social media so that when we do post something, it has that individual impact. Cause let's face it, we're all going to have deadlift videos, right? We're all going to yeah. have that kettlebell swing video and they're all going to be 90% the same, if not more, but it's yeah. that 10% of who we are that we bring to yeah. the table that makes that special. Uh, would you have any like suggestions about, you know, building that yourself up behind the scenes before making the videos so that the videos become something special. Cause let's face it, like the videos you guys put out were huge in putting you guys yeah, on the grander map outside. Sure. Nobody was doing what you guys do. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, it's really weird. Right. Because like, you know, I'm also like, you know, calculated enough to realize when we do crazy shit, like I know it's going to like help grow the brand. Right. So there is yeah. like, there is a motivation that is part marketing, but in my experience, if the motivation starts as marketing, it doesn't ever seem to fly as well as when the motivation starts as this is a hilarious, bizarre thing I want to share with you. Exactly. And it'll be good marketing. Yeah. I would know business in general is the same way, right? I think that's why business for unicorns is blowing up kind of so organically because it's not about like, oh, I bet we can make a lot of money if we do this. It's like, I'm going to make a fucking time management course because I want to. And like, maybe yeah. someone else will want it, but like, I so badly love this so much. I'm so like, desperate for somebody to like talking about this thing that I love. Uh, and I'm so believe I can help people with this thing. Um, and then, you know, you have to do the math. You have to make sure it works, right? Because you can, and that happens all the time in, in business broadly, people spend a lot of time and energy doing something they love, but ultimately like the margins don't really work and it's not really ever going to make money and there's not really people interested in it. So you have to consider that as well. Uh, but to my mind, um, there's something about starting with the intention to serve and like a genuine passion and then checking on the back end to make sure it will actually make you money as opposed to starting with, I think this thing could make me money and then let me create something. And I don't even think that's wrong, right? I think you can probably build a good business that way. I just literally don't, I don't even know where to begin. 
Like yeah, I literally wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> uh, uh, about an hour before we hopped on here, uh, a, a good friend of mine texted me, you know, congrats on the podcast. Do you mind me asking why you're doing it? And uh, it was literally, uh, for whatever reason, I found myself lucky enough to have this role where I have a lot of very wonderful human beings that are also mentors and friends that I just want to have these op opportunities to talk to. Yeah. And for the rest of the world to get to know them, a little bit outside of what, hopefully, this is the goal, outside of a traditional fitness podcast, right? So there's no like set questions that are going to be asked. It's, it's, I want it to be fluid, but it's really the fun of being able to do this, right? Yeah. Having this moment to share some time with some friends um, and hopefully, you know, let other people get to know them a little better, like, you know, behind the scenes type style. And that was really it. Now, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I put up a Patreon account. So if somebody wants to <laughs> donate some money sure. to the podcast, like I'm putting work into it. Yeah. So I was going to do it bi-weekly and I had so many cool people say yes that I didn't, you know, know if somebody's going to say no that I would have been booked for the year already. So I'm going to go weekly. So it's like, you know, that's there. But the main thing was just like, this is fun. It's something I want to do. There's that mountain. Why do you climb it? Cause it's just there. Right. And I think sometimes we get lost on that. And I think uh, my friend Wes Showalter did this great blog, especially with newer coaches. We want to hustle through the gym experience so quickly to get online these days. Yeah. It is like, you know, clearly it's something that's building, um, you know, in popularity, but it's also, we still have to put the time in the room with the people. Yeah. It's to be able it's, to do it. It's going to be a weird thing, man. I'm going to be interested to see the way that changes things. And listen, like, I, I don't know, like part of me is like, <sighs> I don't know. I like part of me is like almost happy uh, that I'm not a couple years younger because part of me is like, man, would there be a different world? I wouldn't even have done MFF or Kira and I just would have gone online and created some super crushy online thing and probably could have done well with it. But like, man, there's just a lot about humanity. I wouldn't like, I, I grieve to think about what I would have missed if I had done that. And that is not talking shit about going online, but it, it has really changed the game, particularly, and it's really been the past two years, right? It's interesting even, you know, for me, and that's not a space like I'm uh, particularly involved in, but, you know, as recently as two to three years ago, there wasn't a lot of resources if you wanted to be an online trainer. And then literally within an 18-month period, it just all of a sudden everybody was offering coaching for online fitness. Um, and it makes sense because it gives like, you know, there's a certain amount of freedom that's available. Your margins in theory could be better. Um, but I do think there's some things that are just hard to learn outside of face-to-face -face interaction. And I'm just, you know, I'll be interested to see the way it all goes. Cause I also don't know what the answer is, you know, cause I don't know how to tell a 24 year old kid who can, you know, who's totally stoked to go make $15,000 and sit on a beach in Thailand, um, not to do that. <laughs> you yeah. know? So I'm like, like I get it, dude, like you're killing it. You're making $15,000 in Thailand and you know, and what you're doing is totally decent. I mean, for me, if I was going to make any argument for this, I'm not saying, and again, I want to be clear, I'm not saying you can't be great at the online thing, but for me, it also comes down to mission. It comes down to intentionality. It's like, you know, are we looking to have personal freedom? Like, yeah, that's cool. But are we looking to be great? You know, like for me, like, you know what I mean? Like I'm fucked up. Like I'll like literally like walk around sometimes a bit, but like, are we, are we great? Like, I don't want to just be fucking good. I want to be like, are we great? And, um, you know, there's a, a really, you know, Staggering price, I think, to pay that. And I don't pretend we're there yet, by the way. Like, I'm in the long haul. I'm like, I think we could be, you know, but, and I'm fully prepared. I know I probably got at least two or three more decades before I even have a fucking fighting chance at it. Yeah. But, uh, man, I'm fucking stoked to keep hammering away at it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's funny. So, uh, you know, when I left MFF, part of my, my, my goals, my business model was to do a bigger focus on online training. I had always had 
one to three people a year that would train for a cert, whether it was a, you know, a DVRT ultimate sandbag thing or an RKC or an SFG. And I finally had a couple of people like stay long-term and really succeed. Hillary Bulmer was one of them. She was like the prodigy of it. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is a good product I'm delivering. And then part of the reason for leaving MFF was just, you guys had already done so many, jumped through so many hoops to manage my schedule between teaching workshops and having two kids and, you know, joint custody and all that stuff that, the online offered me more time to be at home and control my schedule. But like, I got to admit I'm five ish months out now, five months out, six months out, almost six months out. And you know, I'm currently changing that model where I don't want a higher end number of online people because I miss the interaction. Yeah. It becomes a different organizational struggle. And the higher that online training number gets, you have people that, you know, sign in and crush it. You have people that are looking for some extra, something that you're going to provide them that they can't go to the gym and do. And you, you nail some of them and some of them you just never hear from. And I don't want to be the guy that's just cashing the, you know, minimum contract checks. So I'm in the process of actually trying to teach classes again locally in Brooklyn. So I'm still closer to home. I'm not commuting as much, but I can be in front of people more. Um, And I think that's what a lot of people are going to find that like online training can be great. Uh, I don't think it's, likely that a lot of us will make that a main revenue stream. I think some of us are going to crush it. And I do think there'll be some sort of like that bubble bursts in a little while. Um, well, it's interesting too, too, now that everybody's rushing to it, man. Like that's what's so, because the other thing too, it's like, it's going to get crowded fast, right? Because the reality is like, MFF's about to go online real hard, you know? So it's like, everybody's going to be doing it. So it's going to be interesting. And there will be like this, like flight to the online space, which again, as recently three years ago, was such like a, a minimal, crew doing it um so you know i'm just going to be i'll be fascinated to see yeah because i think you're, you're right i think for most people and that you know something that you know um john goodman is always sort of like said is the case which feels right is like most trainers are just looking to make like one to two extra grand a month to have a little bit more freedom a little bit more time um and again we see the same tension between the de- desire for individual freedom self-expression and autonomy with our need to be in a community and interact with other people. So if you're yeah. deep, deep, deep introvert and you have, and or you have other ways to have really robust, meaningful connection community outside your work, it could be a great fit to only go online. But um, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, I know it's, it's probably hard to go completely away from that if you're a people person. Yeah, I, I miss it. I'm super grateful for the people I train. Like the work and the videos uh, has been great. It certainly helped my coaching, trying to be just super clear responding, whether yeah, it's on true. Skype, really Skype or FaceTime yeah. or, um, you know, in, in quick emails, right? We yeah. used to play these drills at MFF where I think Harold had us play this game where uh, teach somebody to deadlift in 15 seconds, right? right. And, you know, when you had us um, – MFF has a master library of exercises and uh, several team members got like a certain number of them that we had to break down basically in three line sentence in, in three yeah. sentences. And, you know, you have to have enough practice to do that where it's not only like actually going to make sense, but that it's safe. And that's the yeah. line training too. If you're not in the room to coach them up. Yeah. Um, so it's well, going to, it's going to be very interesting to see where this, this goes. Cause I, I can see where I'm adjusting my plan now and I'm going to cap it at a certain number and sure. I've got something else in the works on it. But, uh, I did find now that I, I do want to be in front of people more, but I just need to control my location and my hours differently. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. And you know, and listen, I, I, uh, you know, I 
fully support that for everyone because there's no doubt about it. Listen, like I made exactly that, right? So like that's why like I never begrudging for doing it because I was such a setup for me, the best of all worlds where I have this community that like I'm deeply entrenched in, but I have like 100% of my schedule controlled at all times. Um, so I'm fully supportive of, uh, of people getting after that. And, and like you, you know, I'm just, and I'm just fascinated to see what this does for the state of coaching, particularly with, you know, the younger crew coming up. Um, cause like you said, you know, it's an interesting point to distill things requires mastery, right? It's like first a punch was just a punch. Then a punch was no longer just a punch. And then a punch was just a punch again. Um, and you know, it's easy to confuse the first and the third stage. Yeah. So it's hard to get that level of mastery. And, and a lot of time you have a lot of, you know, Dunning Kruger where, you know, the young and just doesn't know any better. It's like, no, I know there's only three things you can say about deadlift. And I know those three things. And you're like, ah, oh, darn it. It's read also Dan John. Read Dan John. Read Dan John. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it's also this false thing of, um, you know, I think, I don't mean this as a negative on Gary V, but it's almost this Gary V effect that's happened to a lot of trainers where, you know, I have these 10 clients and I think four of them will go online. So I think I have that base, but then where's your other reach coming from? Like, you know, whereas the missed thing that Gary would talk about is like actually doing like a shit ton of legwork to build that yeah. up. Whereas I think we jump out and we lose, right? The other thing, and I was talking with Todd Bumgarner earlier about this, he's going to be on the next podcast is so I'm in a, you're, you and I are in a, in a not rare position, but we, in addition to just dealing with general population members, um, we, we coach trainers, right? So sure. whether for me, it's through the RKC, DVRT, OS, or strength faction, I deal with a lot of trainers. So I have to talk to trainers. Right. I think one of the things we often do wrong is we market ourselves towards trainers who are not necessarily going to pay us the dollars. Like we're trying to build our brand to build a reputation amongst other trainers versus just doing work by <laughs> the people in the room and yeah. using that as a draw. Cause if you really love my work, that might get me like three more people on this podcast, but it might not put a session in my pocket. Oh yeah. You know, and it's, it's, you know, that's such a classic like evidence psychology, like catch, right. Where people are, you know, everybody, you know, and th this is like crude and I'm not suggesting necessarily that we're just like slaves to our evolutionary impulses, but the reality is everyone is looking for treasure, sex, and status. And it's interesting in that, you know, you see sometimes people in the fitness industry not looking for like treasure and being broke as a joke, but trying to look for status. And I feel very lucky that for whatever reason, I was just so much more interested in like my community um, I also, because of, you know, now I see to be limiting beliefs, assumed that I was never gonna make any friends in the fitness industry. So, and I was old enough that I had just been like, life had just been like putting me in the fucking washer cycle for long enough. And I was banged around enough. And I was like, well, yeah, fuck it. No one's gonna like me anyway. So let me put this weird FMS video. Um, cause I can remember before even who I was like being very confused and seeing that so many of my friends were seeming to write for other coaches, but not really writing for like the, the people that theoretically are going to like, you know, not just pay the money, but theoretically they're the ones that they're looking to serve. Um, but you know, it's uh, you know, and listen, somebody's got to do it. Right. And, and obviously that, you know, like there's people making a great living doing that, but uh, you know, for better, for worse, I just, you know, I'm just a simple man. I guess I just like, I want to be with my ninjas. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something that I'll have to admit I, I had to learn through a bit because I think clearly that somebody that came into this as a second career, as I started getting the assisting opportunities for like, you know, the RQC and DVOT, I'm sure that went into my head uh, a little bit, but I also was going into it as an opportunity to like sort of pay it back to like, yeah. you know, when I go back to, when I went through my first RKC, which like literally I think in eight days will be seven years since I went through it. Um, 
you know, Steve Millis, who was the guy who gave me my start at Five Points Academy, was an assistant instructor. Um, Lena Caricelli Richmond and Sandy. Oh my gosh, Sandy, I'm, I'm blowing your last name right now, but I, I will make it up. Um, they were so great that I wanted to assist to pay it, pay it back in a yeah. way to whoever yeah. was there. And then it became like, since I didn't go to college, I had this like imposter syndrome a little bit. Like, let me just keep helping out and learning from different instructors. And through that, I got yeah. to meet, you know, and, and, and learn with, you know, at the time, Pavel was showing up at places. Yeah. So I've been very grateful for those opportunities. Um, but I think I got a little bit of the status in me that like, I was like, Oh shit, I'm doing this a lot. This must mean I'm good yeah. at something. Uh, and then I realized that like, unless it's in the, you know, happening in that hour and that person's experience in the room or in that class, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. I get that a lot when people talk to me about why I signed, you know, I joined up with the RKC again and not strong first and that stuff. And it's like, you know, the end of the day, um, uh, if we go to a restaurant, there's 50 people in the restaurant, maybe one of them's ever heard of three initials. Right. And what they want is a result. Right. right? And I think the status of that sometimes is, and, and Todd and I talked about this a little bit, that I think the status, we get caught on that. So, totally. that we, so that we can draw a crowd at perform better while we're not speaking. We just happen to be at perform better right. or, or get those Insta likes. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that, you know, I think, it, you know, it's, uh, you know, I know I'm just like such a Dan John shill, but for me, it's like, keep the goal, the goal, right? If someone's vision is that's what they want to do, you know, because you were actually able to like leverage that into like actually having a career teaching coaches and making a name for yourself. Um, and if, if that's what somebody's passion is and they want to go for that, like, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I think the disconnect um, and it's really been interesting the past like couple of weeks for whatever reason, partly because I, I, I dusted off my goals workshop for this round of time ninja. Um, I've really been getting present to how important it is for people to really think about what kind of future they want and who they want to become. And uh, if anything, I feel like I, I had moved away from that a little bit. I think because I, I, you know, that's definitely a skill set of mine is like crystal clear crowd on what I want then getting very rigorous about what I need to do and just like hammering after it. And a lot of people don't, right? And you know, a lot of people just like don't know what they want to be when they grow up. And I think uh, because I'm so good at it for, I don't want to say like I let people off the hook. It's not like I was like, there was anyone to have on the hook, but I sort of was like, yeah, you know, it's okay. People don't really know what they want and that's fine. It's okay to not know. And, and now I'm, I'm sort of like coming back around and be like, no, actually, I'm going to have to make you sit down and have a really tough 30 minutes of yourself and like get clear <laughs> on this because otherwise I can't get you anywhere, you know? Yeah. I, you know, when I think back of it, I, I, I was trying to think of like the roundabout ways that you and I met uh, initially. And it's, if anything worked in those assisting gigs, it was just a trying to be aware of whether there might be an opportunity trying to take advantage of it. And then uh, not like in a negative way, like just trying to, trying to seize an opportunity. Sure. And then where, oh, yeah. Where's the possibility to make an opportunity. Right. So, right. I was very grateful to end up at five points Academy where I found kettlebells. They were the only one hosting certs. Like that's random, yeah. you know, yeah. like it's random that I ended up there that I Gavin van black who showed me sandbags was there. Like that's random. Um, getting to assist was random last minute emergency assisting at an HKC with somebody I didn't know and happened to have Jen Frankel there, right. you know, and Adrian that's completely random them coming to train. And then that's how, you know, ultimately I, I met you and I just think if you go to learn and you be open and you sincerely want to help, 
Yeah. You're going to want to take opportunities because if you don't, you're sort of in your shell. And I'm sure there's a negative way that you can try to like, you know, manipulate stuff. But I sure. if you want to be around good people to get good at things, they're not going to come to you, right? You have no. to sort of go to them. And I think sometimes we lose that because the internet's provide so much more now. Right. Um, so thank you for being a part of that. Uh, Amen. Because it's been a game changer, man. Honored to be part of it. You know, I said this in the intro video I, I put up last week, uh, intro podcast. It's, it's a podcast. It's not video. It's audio. If you're, you're an idiot. Uh, for those that don't know, too, so I proposed to Kim the night of Mark and Sheena's wedding. So uh, oh, forever yeah. indebted for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> who, who I did not go there knowing and, you know, that that was going to happen. I, I had a similar thing happen. You got engaged at my wedding and I got wasted out of my mind at your wedding. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Cause I was definitely like, I passed out. Uh, I was planning for the public to know I was planning on marrying Kim, but we rushed the schedule due to some health issues with her father. And I just got so inspired at the wedding and I was so drunk that I fell asleep in the cab home and I woke up a block away and going, Holy cow, I'm about to do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. And, you know, importantly, because I'm hoping you got to play catch up, but uh, I know one of, the sh one of the few things that I know you do in your downtime, because you are a very busy man, is I know you appreciate the Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. What do you think of this season? Oh, man. I, you know, listen, I am, like, such a patsy for this kind of stuff. Like, I am, like, when I'm in, dude, like, I'm in. And, and I think that's, like, there's, there's a, you know, there's another value I have around, like, loyalty and, like, commitment. Like, when I'm fucking in, I'm in. So, like, I'm just not the person that's going to be like, hey, you know what they really should have done? <laughs> you know, like, or the guy, like, fuck you. Or the guy, like, reads Harry Potter. It's like, no, no, no. That's not the way it should have ended. And it's like, no, fuck you this is their story you dick uh <laughs> that's kind of the way i feel about game of thrones so i'll start by saying like i'm gonna be kind of stoked no matter what happens um but um yeah you know i was, I was uh very satisfied uh, with the season i thought they really like crushed it i'm sad it's uh i understand they all want to get on with their lives if i have any like slight lament it's they're like oh yeah we've you know we've only got 13 episodes left for these last two seasons that's just all the story there's left to tell and i'm like motherfucker you could have made this shit stretch out so much longer like the last like season like like people like going so fast you know like there's so much room for uh fucking adventures with uh you know tom bombadil for the you fucking lord of the ring dorks who get that reference you know which i, I get we that. cut from the movie i get it i get it the movie was too short we need to cut him totally understand but like we got a tv series here guys like we can i'm sure john got some shenanigans on the way down to fucking dragonstone you know um but listen, I can't complain. I'm I'm still like loving all of it. It was a very a lot of satisfying things finally happened this season. Yeah. Um, and I'm real stoked to see what goes on. And I'm stoked to like read the books again. Which is so interesting. I quite like that they've now diverged so greatly from the books because I feel like I'll still get a whole other sort of like alternate reality of well, things. They ran out of the books, right? They, we're in uncharted yeah, ground, right? They ran out of the books. They, I mean, he's. I hope he doesn't fucking die before he finishes <laughs> them. But he's got, I think, at least two more books. Uh, so, Winds of Winter, I think, is the next one, and then I think uh, Dream of Spring is the final one. Um, I feel like it's. He, I feel like he's like when I started preparing, like. Uh, like workshops, like any workshop I started preparing five years ago started as like 30 minutes and now it's like a two year long course. Yeah. Um, whereas originally it was supposed to just be three books and he just kept writing and writing and writing. So like, you know, I, I feel you brother, no, no, no shade. But um, yeah, the books are, you know, the, cause the books got up to, um, I think like uh, not even this past season. I think they were like, what's, cause what season is this? Seven, seven, seven just ended. Yeah. I think the books got up to season five. 
Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, and, and things in season four and five story, it's like drastically different. I don't want to spoil things in case anyone wants to go through the books. But like I'm talking about people dying that didn't die and people like living that didn't live. Um, so I'm excited to see how this, this varies from the books. So I've never, I've never read the books and I have this weird relationship with the show. So Kim, my wife loves the show. I try to watch it with her every night and nine times out of 10, I fall asleep for about 20 minutes. So I'm always like, I always struggled with the names. And also I was trying to put the timeline together sometime. Like my, my, my relationship with my ex-wife fell apart during the seasons of this show. So I remember like, some of things and then big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I couldn't remember names, I, you know, and I, I would get into it and then all the talking. And then of course, you know, the dragon stuff of this season in particular made me very happy. Yeah. Um, big shock there. So I went back and I started watching. So I'm, I'm, I'm into season starting season four now. Oh, nice. When you look at the kids, man, like oh. man in particular, talk about a life commitment on that though. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely nuts. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. The show's actually pretty brilliant. They're actually already foreshadowing some of the stuff that's currently happening. Yeah. I'm like, you know, right out the gate. So now I get it. And uh, obviously Peter Dinklage, uh, Dinklage just – she just won an Academy and an Emmy. Oh, man. They don't He's, give the Academy to TV, but they should. He should just win every award. He's, He's so amazing good. in that. Um, so, yeah, it was really uh, – you know, if you throw zombies and giant fire-breathing dragons, I'm pretty much going to win. Yeah, come on. Um, when sex becomes a third <laughs> thing on it, yeah. like, you know you're doing something right in my world. Yeah, man. Um, well, cool. Well, it's time to wrap this up. Folks, check out markfisherfitness.com and businessforunicorns.com. Uh, do that quickly. Hit them up on the Book of Faces, like their page. Mark and the crew there put out some of the best, not just fun content, but also worthwhile content. I think we can all say that there's a lot of YouTube university stuff that is mediocre at best and uh, not only production value, but actually like content that applies. If there's an exercise in my library uh, for my online people that I don't have shot yet, (laughs) I go through (laughs) the MFF thing and see if it's there before I look somewhere else to fill in the blank or shoot it myself. Um, and I do have to just say a a huge thank you to Mark for just being a mentor and a friend, um, through a lot, um, you know, uh, a lot of ups and downs, just both professionally and personally. Uh, I love you, brother. I love you, man. Hey, be on the show. Thank you, man. First episode. Is yeah. there anything you want to promote? Anything? Uh, no, I think you did it. I think, uh, you know, I'd love awesome. for people to, you know, connect with me, uh, follow me on that Facebook. I'm sad that of friends, but you know, fuck Facebook. Let's, let's not let, let that determine our friendship. So follow my ass. And, uh, yeah, I, I really do try to put out some, uh, good content out there and business for unicorns. If you sign up for the email list, we really are uh, going to be hitting the gas in the next uh, six months as far as like really upping the content we put out there. Cause uh, we have a lot of fucking uh, thoughts <laughs> opinions. Um, and uh, we've both done some stuff well and we fucked up a lot of shit and we want to help share them with all of you so you can make your life better faster. Yeah, definitely check that stuff out. Uh, hey, if you guys are liking this podcast, uh, I mentioned it earlier, visit Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Coach Fury Podcast. You can donate like a, a bucks to a lot of bucks, whatever uh, helps. If you want to support it, I'm going to continue to do this on my own because it is fun and it's just great catching up with Mark. Uh, there was some stuff I wanted to talk about. We'll have to get you and Keeler on together, actually. Oh, that'll um, be fun. And rap about some stuff. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening again. Uh, 
I've been wanting to do this for so long. Todd Bumgarner made a, a post that took away any excuses I had and just, you know, the call to action that Mark gives all of us uh, at MFF, the team and his expanded family through Business for Unicorns and, and his speaking engagements. Um, you know, I couldn't sit back and not do this and not have him be the first one on. Uh, so, Mark, one of the things I'm asking is, can you just tell the crew to die mighty? Yeah, die mighty. Hell yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, like us, subscribe. Todd Bumgarner is going to be the second guest from Strength Faction BSP Nova. Uh, thanks, everyone. Later. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner. That's me for Fury Industries, LLC. Music by the FTW. Visit the FTW.NYC for merchandise, tour info, and the record. Artwork provided by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That is G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A or at Glenn Urieta on Instagram and Twitter.